how many in, in the room have ever experienced an entitled child? Any, anybody ever experienced an entitled? How many of you by the same sign have enjoyed an entitled child? Like you enjoy being around them. No, oh, I, we see Denica likes her, entitled, her children entitled. Uh, good, good for you. The entitled children say, I want it my way and I want it now. I deserve it right now. How many of you as adults would be like, look, I don't need to feel entitled to anything. Anybody like I don't want, any of y'all want enti- to, to be a person of entitlement? Nobody wants to be a person of entitlement. What if I said, all right, we're going to take away your entitlements like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and maybe retirement benefits. Would y'all be like, no, 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 those are my entitlements. I earned them and I want them, right? But what we, we don't want is the kind of entitlement that would have a child say, look, dad, I know you got me this nice new sports car, but it's the wrong color. Take it back, right? Like, that's not what we want. Today, what we're going to be seeing is a child who grew up with this mentality or an attitude that he was deserved or entitled to certain privileges, that it was his right. And I think that Samson is the greatest example of entitlement gone wrong in all of the scripture. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 14. We're going to really camp out in verses 1 through 9, but we're going to dive into 13 all the way through 16, and we're going to finish with Samson next week. So there's two parts to, to dealing with Samson in our series in the book of Judges called Hook, Line, and Sinker. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Judges chapter 14. What's going on in the people of Israel at this time is they have been Again, leaving the presence of God and following him. So God brought oppression and discipline in the form of the Philistines. And they needed a judge. And so God visited a barren woman. The angel of the Lord came to a barren woman, found favor upon her, and blessed her with a son who was going to be a Nazarite, who was going to lead the people back out of this captivity and slavery and captivity and oppression from the Philistines and set them free, and his name was Samson. We're going to pick up as he's kind of entering into adulthood, and he's making decisions for the first time recorded in Scripture that are contrary to what God wants. Judges chapter 14, starting in verse 1, says, Samson went down to Timnah, and Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go and get her for me as my wife. Sound like an entitled child? I saw a girl I want. Go get her for me. Just the way it worked back then. Verse 3. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? What his parents knew was the teaching of the word of God. The teaching of the word of God is very clear that we are not to be unequally yoked. That followers of God are not to marry people who follow someone or something else, but as believers, as followers of God, as Christians, we are to be equally yoked with people who believe the same way, because if we marry somebody who has different beliefs, they're going to pull us far from God. So his parents looked and said, is there not someone among our people that will help you live a godly life? Why do you have to go marry the daughter of an uncircumcised Philistine? So the argument there, they're trying to raise him and point him in the right direction. But Samson said to his father, go get her for me. Now, go get her. For she is right in my eyes. It probably went more like this. Dad, now you're trying to argue with me. Just wait till you see her. Okay? Once you see her, you'll understand what's... She is right in my eyes. I'm going to be the talk of the town. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Go get her for me now. 
His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Let me just kind of remind you of a couple things happening right here in the text. Number one, there are times when God is moving and working that we don't see it or understand or know. So just know that God was working in a way he was going to use the sin of Samson to bring about his justice and wrath and deliverance. Here's another thing that we must understand. If you're a parent, please hear me. You can do everything right and your children still make the wrong decisions. Okay, so they're pointing it in, in God's direction. They're trying to live a life set apart from the womb. His, his mother had been living a life set apart for God, and yet Samson still went his own way. Verse four or six, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. So he gets in this fight with his parents. He's having all these arguments with his parents about marrying a Philistine. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion into pieces as one tears a young goat, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. This is a clear indication of how strong and mighty and forceful Samson was. He's going about his way, and as he's on the road, a lion approaches him. And in the same way, maybe you're eating dinner and you see a fly and you get a fly swatter and smash it. Samson sees a lion, the king of the jungle, and he tears it apart with his bare hands and he just goes about his day because for him, this was common and ordinary. It was no big deal. Let that sink in for you. Like, if I'm sitting there and I have a lion approach me, I don't care if I have a machete, if I have a shotgun, if I have an AR, if I have a bazooka and I kill that thing, I'm telling everybody, hey, guess what I just did? Samson, no big deal at all to him because he was strong and mighty and this was just kind of like squashing a house fly would be to you and me. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. So he talked to her and instead of maybe being dissuaded or discouraged to, to marry her, he was, she was right in his eyes. After some days, he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hand and went on, eating it as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave, them, gave some to them. And they ate. But he did not tell them that there he scraped the honey from the, the carcass of the lion. Now, as you're looking at this, just kind of keep in mind the context of Judges. Judges always talks about how God's people might be living in prosperity in times of prosperity and peace. They drift from God. As they drift from God, they go into sin. Then they get oppression. Oppression leads to repentance. Repentance leads to delivery. And then they enter uh, a time of peace again. The stories of judges are to serve as a warning for us, not something to aspire to, but something to avoid in our life, the cycle of sin that we see over and over again. And what we see in Samson's life today is something that we are to avoid, and it is this lifestyle of entitlement. See, the story and the reason that everything in Samson's life was so particularly wrong and strange and bad and evil and just a different level of sinfulness is that Samson was one who was set apart. From the womb, he was set apart. His mother was barren whenever she conceived, and it was the worst kind of thing a woman could be. The most disgraceful thing for a woman in the Old Testament was to not be able to give her husband children. And she was a barren woman. It was shameful and disgraceful for her. And with Samson, not only did she have a miracle baby, but she had a task that was given to her and to her son in this. It's found in 
chapter 13 of the book of Judges. And this is how it goes. Verse 2, it says, There was a certain man of Zorah from the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren. You have not borne any children. It says, You shall conceive and bear a son. You will have a miracle baby, a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. Good advice for everybody. And eat nothing unclean. Good advice for everyone. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon, her head, upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So you have this barren woman living in shame and disgrace who gets encountered by the angel of the Lord, and in this encounter she gets told, not only are you going to have a son, but he's going to be set apart. He's going to be a Nazarite, dedicated, consecrated for me. And because of this, from the womb, I want you to start living a life consecrated and dedicated to me. Because this man is not just going to grow. This boy is not just going to grow to be a man. He is going to grow to be the deliverer of my people. There's three sacred Nazarite obligations here. No strong drink. Can't drink. Number two, you can't eat unclean food. And three, no razor can touch your head. Got to have long hair. Kind of like my son and some of the, the, the boys, although most of them are shaving their head except for Vincent. I have no idea what's going on with his hair right now. But as you're thinking about this, right, you've got these obligations that are supposed to take place with the Nazarites. And the whole point is that they are to live a life that is set apart. They are to look distinguishably different from the world. I want you to understand this. What was true about the Nazarites is also true about believers today when we become born again, when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We too are to live dedicated, set apart for the Lord. Our lives are to be consecrated for Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, one, we say, Lord, I want you to save me from my sin. You died in my place, and I want to receive your gift of salvation. But the other part of that, whenever we get saved, when we experience salvation, is, Lord, I am going to live my life for you. We become dedicated to the Lord. Another way of thinking about this is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that, was, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be set apart. You shall be different as I am set apart, and I am different. The call of Samson is the same call upon the Christians today to live a life set apart. But there's this power that comes along with Samson that also comes along with the believer today. When we are saved, when we are made new, when we are transformed in that being born again, we are empowered. Whenever we see this act that he had with the lion, that the Spirit of God came upon him and he tore apart the king of the jungle, like we would smash a bug, we see the Spirit of the Lord did mighty things in his life. Catch this. When we live set apart for God, the Spirit of the Lord comes and does mighty things in our hearts and our lives as well. 
Being set apart empowers us with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. The problem is when we don't live set apart, when we don't live consecrated, when we don't live in a way that has been transformed by the renewing of our mind and the presence of the Spirit in our life, we live disconnected from God and we miss out on the power of God. Let me explain it to you in another way. Recently, I ordered this new charger box thing. It was this power hub for my office. I remember getting it, and I plugged it in, and as I was plugging it in, I put my different plugs in it, and I connected my iPad and my phone, and I reconnected it because whenever, whenever I put it in, nothing worked. No power was happening. So I did what, what I, I threw it against the wall and smashed it. That's not what I did. I took it, and so I checked to make sure I had it plugged in right and then I took the, the charger base and I looked at the power strip and made sure it was plugged in the power strip right and, and that was right. And then I went to the wall and made sure it was plugged in the wall and I checked everything again. Nothing happened. No power was connected there. Sitting in my, my chair and because, you know, I'm a problem solver and I can do it kind of quick. After a few seconds, I looked up, maybe a minute or two or 12 or whatever, I looked up at my wall, and if you've ever been in our office, you know that our office building's old. It's not exactly the nicest thing. And I looked up, and I had one of my switches on and the other one off. And as I'm looking at it, I'm like, <sighs> flip the switch, and then boom, all the power turned on on everything. Like, this box worked the way it's supposed to. Problem is, the flip was turned off. Everything was connected, but it didn't have any power because the, the, the light wasn't there. It wasn't connected properly. See, when we live our life, we might have everything to where we had the power where it should be, but we don't have the power unless we're truly connected to the power source. And catch me, believer, hear me, believer, if we're not properly connected to God, we're not properly living in the power of the Spirit. And Samson missed this. He had all this power, all these feats of strength, all these mighty deeds, but he had to make this choice. Am I going to set myself apart to live for God, or am I going to set God aside to live for myself? Like, we've got to make a choice, not only if we're going to be set apart, but what are we going to set aside? Ourselves or God? Look at verses uh, 14, 8. It says, after some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold... There was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey, and he scraped it out with his hands and went on eating as he went. In our focal passage, if you skip ahead a couple chapters to Judges 16, verse 19, it says, she made him sleep on her knees and called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. These are two examples of how he broke his Nazarite vow. Samson had a life of disregard for God and the things of God. He had a life of disregard for living set apart or holy or righteous for God. He has time after time after time this act of sin, but in the midst of his sin, he doesn't see punishment. He sees blessing. I'm just going to list it out for you, just a few of the things. So in Judges 14, 1 through 3, although he was a Nazarite, Although he was taught the word of God, although he was instructed by his parents in the ways of God, he married a Philistine woman. As he was making this decision, he encounters a lion, rips it apart. In 14, 12 through 18, he gambles as he's gambling, which some people will be like, the Bible doesn't say specifically it's not a sin. It's just everything acquainted with gambling that's sinful. 
But in this, he gambles, he loses. Then he killed 30 Philistines in verse 19. In 19 through 20, he left his wife. And then in 15, 1 through 5, whenever he came back from leaving his wife to check on her after a period of time, he goes back and his father-in-law had given his wife to his best man. Samson's having a bad day in that moment, so he does what any of us would do. He goes out and catches 300 fox, ties her tails together, puts a torch in the middle of them. So you got 150 pairs of these foxes going through the town of his father-in-law, and they burn down the whole town. Just a normal day in the life of Samson, right? Then uh, he turned, was turned over by his own people, and then he killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, 1515. Again, this is another unclean animal that he wasn't supposed to touch, by the way. In 16.1, he sleeps with a prostitute. He gets angry about what they were trying to do to him, and he destroys their city. Now, the whole reason I bring this up is Samson sinning, 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 making a sinful choice after another sinful choice after another sinful choice. And what he doesn't get is what we expect in our sin, and that is punishment and discipline from God. Catch this. Please don't miss this. A lot of times when we sin, we believe in our sin that God is immediately going to punish us. What Samson saw in his sin was instead of punishment, he got blessing. Instead of punishment, God was not using discipline to bring him back, but blessing to bring him back. Blessing during sinful lifestyle choices leads to entitlement. Entitlement for Samson was self-justified rebellion. This is very, very important for us to understand because when we are sinning and we don't see immediate consequences for our sin, we justify our sin. We explain our sin Like, I know this may not be right, but God knows my needs, so he's meeting my needs in another way. I know that this may not be right, but my wife or my husband is not meeting my needs in a rightful way, so God has somehow given me this other avenue to meet. I know that maybe I shouldn't get drunk, but just a drink here, I'm not hurting anybody, and so God is allowing me to do this because we don't see immediate consequences for our actions We somehow self-justify and we become entitled to sin. This is what happened with Samson. But I believe God was using blessing to draw Samson back. Because every time he had a feat of strength, every time he had a victory, the scripture tells us that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And what happens sometimes when we sin is instead of discipline, what happened with Samson is the spirit of God blessing came And that blessing was meant to see, look what you can do with me. And look how much better it is in my presence than it is apart from me. But Samson, because he didn't have immediate consequence towards his sin, became entitled to his sin. Justifying his sin. Explaining away his sin. Samson is a cautionary tale to not justify and explain our sin. God is never satisfied with unholiness. It's never a good thing for us to go our own way. And here's what we need to understand with the choices we make. We either set ourselves to the side to live for God, or we set God aside to live for ourselves. There is a choice to be made. Will you set yourself to the side, or will you set... God to the side. 
He had three vows. No strong drink. Don't, don't drink strong drink or wine. No alcohol. Number two, no unclean food. Number three, no razor to his head. In 1410, at a feast, most likely, scholars believe he, dro- he broke number one. He ate honey out of a carcass, an unclean animal. Number two, and then he broke the third one whenever he told his prostitute friend uh, that his, his, if he shaved his head, that he would lose power. So she shaved his head, his wife, his woman, right? And, and what he constantly did, instead of living for God, he just found that which was pleasurable to his eyes and lived for himself, kept, kept, understanding in a different way. We must decide whom we're going to live for. Either we're going to live for God or we're going to live for ourselves. You can't have both. He did not set himself to the side. He lived for himself and it led to his destruction. And just because you think that you're getting away with a sin today or a sinful lifestyle choice today doesn't mean that you're really getting away with it. Joshua 24, 15 approaches this, and the people of God are entering into the the promised land, and they're there, and instead of following God's way, they're following the ways of the people in which the land they're inhabiting, and it says this, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. There is a choice that has to be made with every man and every woman and every follower of God. It is a daily choice with whether or not you will live for yourself or you will live for God. And the reason that it's so difficult is that whenever you decide to live for God, you are setting yourself against your natural tendencies. You are setting yourself against the natural desires of your flesh. But the benefit is always worth it. Go back to our main text. It says, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat, and he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees that was in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out in his hands and went on eating as he went. Here's a tragedy that happens in the middle of verse 9. And he came to his father and his mother, and he gave some of it to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. What we see here is he saw something, he was hungry, and he ate. The tragedy is not only did he live a sinful lifestyle, But he engaged his parents, invited his parents to unknowingly participate in this uncleanly act, which was also against Scripture, right? When we sin and we choose ourselves, when we set ourselves against God, generally, we're going to pull other people into the ungodliness in which we are choosing to live. That is what Samson did in this moment. He brought his parents down to his level of ungodliness. And it's tragic and heartbreaking how selfishness in living for ourselves instead of living for God drags people away from God. It always impacts others. 
So if we got to be set against something, we got to decide, are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for God? Are we going to follow the passions of our flesh or are we going to follow the passion we have for our great God and Savior who loved us, died for us, and offers us new life? Here's what I would suggest to you. Number one, we must starve the flesh. The flesh, that thing that is pulling you away from God. The flesh, the desires of your eyes. The things that you look at and you're like, oh, wow, I got to have that. And whenever I'm talking about passions of the flesh, I'm talking about anything that would get in the way of you loving God and knowing God and walking for him. It could be a car. It could be a house. It could be pleasure. It could be a vacation. It could be maybe going to the beach or a lake house. It might be what you eat or the amount of what you eat. It might be drugs or alcohol, anything that's going to stand in the way of you being fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We must starve those things that pull us away from God. And then the flip side of that is it's not just enough for us to starve the flesh. We have got to feed the Spirit. Feed the Spirit of God that lives within us. That calling that God gives us to be set apart, to be holy as He is holy. We've got to feed that Spirit so we can be different, so that we can make a difference for God. And the way that we feed the Spirit is so clear. Again, just going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16, it says this. Again, therefore prepare your minds for action. It starts with our head and, and our mind that we're going to make a decision to live for God. That in the same way we've received him by grace through faith, we will live for God by grace through faith. That we will set our things on minds above, not things below. That we will set our, our minds on passions of God and not passions of our flesh. Being sober-minded, right? Not, not consumed, not with drunk on, on passions of our flesh or consumed or controlled by alcohol or consumed or controlled by power or money or influence. But being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we will set our minds fully, focus fully on God and his presence in our life, the redemptive nature that he saved us from our sin, and he calls us from this world of sinfulness to something better. Set your mind on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. You want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Live obedient do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That is your flesh, the sinfulness in which you have been saved from. Do not conform to those passions. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So the real question is how do we live holy? How do we live set apart? How do we not live a life like Samson? There's one thing that is always present in Samson's life. You never see him in community. He isolates himself for other people. You want to live a life that's set apart, holy, pleasing to God? Share your life with others. Surround yourself with men and women. Surround yourself with followers of Jesus Christ who want to live for Jesus Christ. If you isolate, you will find yourself pulled away from God. You will find yourself pulled away from the things of God. 
and moving towards your flesh and desires and passions of this world, passions of your former self. Share your life with others. Why are we the perfect place for imperfect people to connect with God and others? It is because in order to live for God, a holy and set-apart life, you have to share your life with others. Accountability, relationship, community, get involved in church, get involved in a connect group. It is for your own good to live a life that you want to live in, a life that's pleasing to God. Number two, engage God daily. Samson engaged his flesh daily. He saw something, he wanted it, he went and got it. He didn't care the consequence. He didn't care who he hurt. He constantly lived for himself. If you want to live a life that's set apart, holy and pleasing to God, engage God daily. You do this by having a quiet time, by constantly praying, by being a man or woman of prayer, young man, young woman of prayer, by communicating with God, by studying his word, learning what it means to live a life that's pleasing for him, where it means to be holy, how you can avoid temptations and sin. You do this by meditating or memorizing God's word. So what's filling your brain is not things of this world or passions of this flesh, but the teachings and scriptures, the word of God that's living and active in our brain. Engage God daily. And not just that, engage him in community with other believers who know him, love him, and want to live for him. And the final thing, if you want to live set apart, you got to transform your life. The good news is that this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit that's living within you. But it starts with, again, setting our minds on the things of God, making that decision that, God, I'm going to live for you, not myself. I'm going to walk in your word and in your truth, not in my ways. I'm going to do that which you've called me to. And please catch this. You do not clean yourself up to be acceptable to God. You are accepted by God, and he cleans you up. It is a fool's errand to try and get right with God or get your life cleaned up before you come to God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit only that transforms. It starts with making that decision. You are my Lord and my Savior. You got to make the decision that I will set my heart on living set apart.